0: Genesis House and the Friends in Recovery Podcast are proud to bring you Answering the Call, the First Responder Podcast. Join your hosts, Mike the Podfather, and Jersey Ed, as they address the real issues in health and wellness for first responders, from physical and mental health to relationships and work-life balance. We leave no stone unturned. Answering the Call, the First Responder Podcast is available on Facebook, Podbean, iTunes, and YouTube, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, Here are your friends in recovery, answering the call. Welcome to another episode of Answering the Call, the first responder podcast, sponsored by Genesis House and produced by Sweets Productions in Beverly, Mass. And now, here are your hosts, the podfather, Mike Miles and Jersey Ed.
1: Thank you, Sweets. As always, we are happy to be here and ready and available to help our first responders out there across the country and abroad. That's right, Mike. I love uh, new. I love the new topics we talk about,
2: and and so do our listeners. And uh, you know, from all the emails and all the social media chatter, they love it too out there.
1: Yeah, you know, you know what? I'm not surprised Ed. I think um, <laughs> when I when I sit here with you, and it's been several months now we've been doing these podcasts. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I get something out of it, and I, and I'm the guy bringing a lot of the information because of my you know experience as a cop and everything, and you also have a lot of experience you know a lot of people boy some of the guests we've had on have just been unbelievable oh, yeah.
2: and some of the guests that are coming up are going to be unbelievable it's incredible
1: too. and yeah. you know i want to thank melissa and i definitely want to thanks uh <laughs> thanks sweets and sweet studio this is a fabulous place to be uh what a great venue
2: yep absolutely you it know, is
1: I, I get excited coming here
2: absolutely it's it, it, it's a great uh great venue great uh Great atmosphere to, to talk about what, what we talk about. And, you know, Mike, I, n- I know, um, you know, we don't like to toot everybody's, each other's horns, but we do. And uh, you do, you do bring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not tooting your horn. Now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, mean, I, love you, but <laughs> I love you. I love you. Jesus. Let's get, let's get real. <laughs> but we, we, you know, the, the information that you do provide for, for our listeners is, a, is amazing. Um, you know, I, di- I do learn. I learn from you every episode, even on our other podcast, the, the addiction podcast, I learned from you. Um, you know and and throughout the years that I've known you for the last 10 years um, you know I'm able to take some of that experience that I sit with you and talk to you we talk on the phone a lot we um, we see each other in person a lot and and I I listen to everything that you say and I apply that in my my everyday work with with first first responders and also civilians too Um, you know I take that because you do work with civilians also but um, you know most importantly the the first responders I really uh, Kind of enjoy taking that information and kind of passing it along. Uh, passing along what you've uh, taught me.
1: Sure. You, well, you know, when I first met you, um, as you know, it was private mm-hmm. practice, Late licensed alcohol drug counselor. Clinical social work, or helping people, you know, uh, putting people in treatment for me was always a challenge. I'd get I'd get stressed over that mm-hmm. because I had to start making phone calls, and I'd get the same thing. We are we're full. We don't have any beds. We're full. We don't have any beds. And when you got somebody who's ready to go, you know they're ready to go, and that's a sh- small window sometimes. Yeah, they might change their mind at any moment. So when I met you, I could I could just hand that off to you, and you'd take it. And the next thing you know, we got somebody on a plane flying down to Genesis House, yeah. or if they couldn't go there, you'd help me find another place. Yeah,
2: we we just get them in somewhere. The, the name of the game is acting really um, quickly and helping these folks out, especially with addiction, but with anything, even even uh, mental health stuff. We have to, you know, sometimes there's folks that we can't take at Genesis House because it's all too much mental health, and we, we have to find the right spot right. for them. We can't just leave them hanging, you know, and we have to get them somewhere where the help is going to be, top-notch just like Genesis house and you know we know those places thank God
1: right And I think we're at a level now where we're we're so head and shoulders above (laughs) you know most uh, as far as I know most therapists because the podcast and and I got to be honest I didn't know what a podcast was you know (laughs) Uh, two years ago I had no idea when you said we're gonna do a podcast and you started looking into it. I just let you run with it because I had no idea what yeah, was going on. All right, all right. Next thing you know, we're doing Friends in Recovery podcast. Then we're doing Friends in Recovery podcast answering the call. Yeah, yeah. And Who uh, knows what's next? <laughs> yeah, who knows what's next, you know? But, Absolutely. But I'll tell you one thing. Um, it's really helped my business, not so much financially as it has given me a lot more comfort. You know, stress is a horrible thing. Coping with stress is a, is a learned experience, you know, and, um, a lot of people, carpenters, electricians—they have stress. You know, should I get to the job on time? Did I overprice this job? Underprice this job? You know, and we all know when you start working on homes and everything, something comes up. It's going to cost more money. Uh, You—you've been in that line of work, but with policing, I think the stress I knew as a cop, um, you know, that came upon me, it blindsided me because when I came on the job in 1980, actually in the 70s. There was one guy, his name was Eddie Donovan, he was a Boston cop, he was a drunk, he got sober, and he started helping cops, and he got a lot of notoriety, and Eddie was great until he got caught shoplifting at <laughs> at Leachmare in Boston, which is no longer there, and his whole career went right down the tubes for the second time, and I feel I'm kind of a pioneer in the field of helping cops because I've been doing it for over 30 years, and you know what it's been it's been very very rewarding and you know stress is the common cold of most police officers because you have a type a personality you're out there trying to help people sometimes people most times they're not but sometimes people are very appreciative but most times they're not they take it for granted you get you you get spoken to you get accused of things give me an example stopping a lady for speeding I get, I get a job one night, they tell me to sit and watch these lights, people are running these lights, it's near a college with students are crossing, they study at night, and it's a very busy highway, two lane highway, speed limit's 45 miles an hour, so I sit and watch the lights, and my my light's green, so anybody coming the other way, their light's red, so as soon as that, I see one of those, I go out behind it, and I stop the car, and it's a woman, and she rolls down the window, all the smoke comes billowing billi- billi- out, she's smoking a joint. Now, this is back in the 80s. This is before it's legal here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's, she's got a minivan full of presents, and she's out Christmas shopping. And I tell her she ran a red light, and I'd already decided, I'm not giving her a ticket, I'm just going to tell her, hey, lady, slow down, you're going way too fast, and you know, you're know you going to hurt somebody. And now she starts calling me a liar. She just turns on me, and all of a sudden I get my Irish up, and the next thing you know I got her in handcuffs, and off to jail she goes. And I learned a lot from that. I learned that I felt bad afterwards because... When the sergeant got on the scene, he sees all the presents in the back of the van. He's like, well, you're a heartless bastard, huh? I said, said, you're like fucking Scrooge, for Christ's sake. You just locked her up. It's Christmas. I said, well, you weren't here for the the sideshow, you know? (laughs) But that's it. That's where the stress comes in. And and
2: listen, everybody has stress, but you guys particularly have a a different stress than us as civilians have. And um, I couldn't imagine, like, you're stopping somebody. And then it turns into a complete shit show. You know what I mean? It turns into, like you said, a a, a circus. And, um, you know, that's the stuff that you have to, as a police officer, you have to kind of anticipate every single time. And that stress must just be. just unbelievable like pulling somebody over you don't know
1: what's in that car you know it's an old lady but who knows I mean you 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 don't know you know right well I I was in the military police corps in 1973 to 75 I joined the army in 72 and they taught us excuse me at Fort Gordon Georgia how to approach a vehicle how to stop do a traffic stop they showed us how to get thrown on the ground at barroom speed, they called it, how if somebody is going to grab you and throw you to the ground, how fast you're going to be hitting the ground, what to use as a shock absorber so you don't get a broken arm or a leg or fracture your skull. And we learned all these things, but one of the things I always kept with me through my whole police career when I stopped a car was I never took my eyes off the driver or the passenger, if there was four people in the car, I could see all four people. And as I approached that car, if I was by myself, i always checked the trunk to make sure there was nobody hiding in there. As crazy as that sounds, I was taught that. And I never went further than the door itself. In other words, if there was people in the back seat, I didn't go any further than that door. Mm-hmm. I never went halfway. I just stayed right in the back. So they had to look out the window and look at me, especially the driver, to get their license. Um Many, many times people complied. They might have been surprised why I was standing way back here <laughs> and having them hang out the window to hand me their license. <laughs> but I didn't have to explain to them. But I can honestly tell you there was a time when we stopped the car, guy jumped out with an ice pick and started swinging at us. Jesus. Now, we could have shot him. Yeah. We didn't have stun guns then. We didn't have pepper spray. We had a club and a gun. That's all <laughs> we had. I clubbed him. I would have been justified in shooting him because he was swinging an ice pick mm-hmm. at me. He could have killed me at any moment. But that night I went home. And I thought to myself, an ice pick, there's, they're not forgiving. Mm-hmm. If you get stuck with an ice pick, it's going to go through your skin, between the bones. It's either going to rupture an organ. If he stabs you in the head, it's going to go in. You know. And I started thinking about how lucky I was I didn't get hit with this ice pick, how lucky I was. But no one said to me, you might be stressed. You might have some PTSD. You might be worried about this. Nowadays, when you teach an academy, when there is an academy, they're taught about stress. They're taught about what to do with it you know whether they call their EAP or not whether they they go see somebody about it it's up to them but that's just how it was and i i feel like i've been fortunate enough to watch the renaissance to watch the the progression of of assistance for cops and firemen and correctional officers i was a correctional officer and just EMS in general you know there is there there is a lot of hope for them out there like some of the guests we've had on here yeah absolutely and you know stress
2: stress is um like you always say, it's the um, uh, the the police officers' common cold, and uh, you know, it, it, but you guys get a common cold every day. You know, if if you want to talk about stress of being a common cold, um, you know, uh, you know we had then then on top of that, you got to go home and deal with the stress of the bills, the stress of the family life, the stress of maybe of a sick kid or a, a family member or whatever the case may be. So on top of all that, um, that stress that you have, you have to go home and deal with. All that stuff what's some of the coping mechanisms um, that you deal with as far as trying to keep all that in in check and not becoming a, a
1: fucking maniac <laughs> well <laughs> y- years ago there was an author his name was Joseph Wamba and Joseph Wamba was a Los Angeles police officer and back in the day when I was in the army 18 19 years old I read a lot of books I read a lot because they had a lot of downtime. And some of the books I read were The Onion Field, The New Centurions, all written by Joseph Womba, The Glitter Dome. I mean, he wrote tons of books, uh, probably 10 or 12, maybe more. And I just loved his style of writing. But he, would, he wrote a book called The Choir Boys. <clears throat> and basically, it was about what cops did after work to relieve their stress. And what they did was they were choir boys. You know, a choir boy is someone who sings in a choir at a church. But basically, they called it choir practice. They'd go out after work. They'd meet in a parking lot or a, a park. They'd get out of work at 12 at night. They'd be in a park somewhere um, in Los Angeles, and they'd bring cases of beer, and they'd drink, and they'd do crazy stuff. Well, I did that. I did all that crazy stuff with cops back in the early 80s. And... Um, it was, it was a great time. You know, it was fun. You couldn't wait to get out of work. And during your work and shift, you'd get beer, you'd get ice. Sometimes we'd get beer from kids in a field drinking. would scare them off. You know, we'd have a strategic uh, plan. One cruiser would park at one end of the field, and the other one would be at the other end of the field. And we'd have four cops walking through the high grass into the woods, screaming, yelling, police, police. These kids would be running. beers would be flying. There'd be a quarter keg of beer, two cases of beer. And we'd say, "Get out of here! We're gonna take <laughs> take you to jail." And then we'd be loading all their beer into our car, and we'd laugh all the way back to the place where we'd be I, eating it. I experienced and that personally. Of course, course I <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike.
2: I, I we, we used to party at the place called the Moon in Cerrible, New Jersey, and um, it was it was like the, the the moon. It really did look like the moon. And you had to drive. You either had to have a four wheeled vehicle, or you really want to beat the shit out of your car to get to this place. <laughs> and there was a bunch of us there. I bought a keg. There's beer all over the place and all of a sudden these fucking cops come out of nowhere man and we're like holy shit we all left everything and you know we're, we're way in the back you know kind of like because we couldn't get out because we knew the cops were there waiting for us and it was just acres and acres of field but we've seen the
1: cops put all the shit in the car <laughs> and i can't say that they right. took it but <laughs> well there was one time where 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 a lawyer came to the police station his name, well, I won't say his name, but anyway, he, he had a son who became a cop and um, he wanted his daughter's beer back, all the two cases of beer. She, had, she was 17. All the two cases, and drinking age was 21. And he said he was going to make a formal complaint if we didn't return the beer. Well, we didn't because we turned it in as evidence. And, um, you know, we kind of won upped him because now. You know, he's almost admitting it was his daughter's beer, but we have it, and we kept it as evidence. Luckily, nobody <laughs> cracked any of that, and we, we you know we gave it back to it went into the evidence room, and from there, who knows where it went. <laughs> but we were always very friendly with the liquor store owners because a lot of them would do a great business, and we would drive them to the bank at night with their night's deposit. And as a result of being the good cop, at the becking call of the of the liquor store owner, he would give us anything we wanted, so we'd take a case of beer. And uh, the, on Sunday nights, you couldn't buy alcohol in Massachusetts back in the '80s, and um, we'd have to go up to New Hampshire, which was the next town. So we'd always get somebody to to throw on a jacket, grab their POV, privately owned vehicle, drive to New Hampshire, get three or four cases of beer, would order pizza, and would have the, these parties. We would four or five cruisers would be parked under a bridge. Nobody would come down there because they see all the cr- cop cars. They thought there was a murder. <laughs> and we'd be lighting off fireworks, we'd have target shot practice. We used to shoot at water rats. <laughs> I mean, this, these were days when you, on a Sunday you never called in sick because you knew Sunday night about nine o'clock when it got dark, you were gonna have a heck of a time. You know, so you go to work. You never miss work.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, 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 listen, you have to have fun and stress relief in what you do. It's a little different now. I'm guessing oh, it's um, a lot you, they now. can't do that, and no. and understandably so. It's it's you know, sure. This is a, a you guys have to be on your game now because the game has changed considerably to compared to you know even when. I I was out there doing what I was doing Um, you know it's it's just a completely you have to be top-notch now and uh, you know but but you know this that's one of the stress reliefs that that you look forward to you know a hard hard weeks worth of work and here you had to do how to do that now now being in recovery how how do you you know how do you do this now how do you how do you stress relief now
1: I got sober in 86 I retired in 2015 so I spent a lot of years as a police officer Without any type of substance use or abuse, um, and what I found back then was exercise was was you know very part, big part of my life. I used to go running, bike riding, take my daughter in a stroller with those three wheel Jerry strollers mm-hmm. they called them. I'd run and you know everything. Um, I ate ate a little healthier back then, but um, I found I always found talking and humor. I love humor. I listened to comedies, you know, CDs back in the day eight tracks and cassettes you know i always loved richard pryor rodney dangerfield Mm -hmm. i mean i can go on and on but i I love humor funny movies i won't watch i won't watch a movie that has gore in it rape robbery murder torture i can't watch that stuff because i want to jump on the screen you know it it just (laughs) upsets me i can't do it but comedy was it it for me and it's funny because i have three children my oldest daughter she's so funny like She'll tell me, Dad, guess what was just on? Christmas Vacation. Dad, Caddyshack was just on. You know, because so, she grew up watching me watch all these funny movies, you know. Um, I found being being a good dad, taking my kids and all their friends wherever they wanted to go. Um, as they got older, they'd get speeding tickets. They'd come to me. I could help them out. If they got in trouble or, you know, they, they were on the borderline of getting arrested, they'd call me. I'd, <laughs> I'd go to the rescue, you know. Um so, I just found by being uh, a good dad and being involved with my kids, that was a stress reliever too. Yeah. I went to a lot of ball games, a lot of soccer games, a lot of softball games, you know, like yourself, like most parents yeah. do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But that was my stress relief that, without the booze or drugs, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well,
2: we're going to take a break here, Mike, real quick, and then we'll talk about um, some more stress reliefs and uh, maybe some of my cop stories, but I'm on the other end of cop <laughs> stories <laughs> and in my drinking days. So, uh, we'll be right back, everybody.
0: Since 1992, Genesis House has been helping real people heal from addiction on their private recovery campus in beautiful Palm Beach County, Florida. Their family-owned program is accredited by the Joint Commission and offers detox and dual diagnosis treatment in a comfortable and confidential setting. The first responder recovery program at Genesis House is led by a doctorate level therapist with direct professional experience as a first responder himself. Treatment modalities focus on psychiatric care, relapse prevention, stress management, and trauma-informed care for PTSD. Learn why their individualized approach makes a difference for first responders. Call Genesis House today at 1-800-737-0933 to speak with someone who understands. Visit them on the web at www.genesishouse.net. It's time to start your journey to a long and successful recovery.
1: Hey, Welcome back, everybody. Back to Friends and Recovery podcast, answering the call. I'm the f- podfather. And
2: I'm Jersey Ed.
1: And we were talking about stress relief for police officers and, uh, you know, firemen, <clears throat> corrections. I was a correctional officer, too, and we used to, um, I worked at the Bureka House of Correction, 4 to 12 shift, and we'd get out of work. We used to go to this uh, bar called the Red Pines, and the guy would cash our checks. Back then, we made $198 a week, and Tony would cash our checks on a Thursday night. And, um, you know, you have a pocket full of cash, and... You know, you'd pound down a few beers and then you'd go out to the local clubs till they closed it, too. You know, being a young, single guy, 21 years old, it was a great job. You had a uniform, a badge, a little bit of authority. And, um, you know, I worked with some men and women, mostly men back then, that turned out to be very close friends who went on to become chiefs of police. And um, some of them became therapists, like myself. Some of them became uh, uh, teachers. You know, it was like a stopping job. Like you got the job as a correctional officer, but you didn't stay there till the end. Because what I found out years later and what I've seen over the years is you know, most correctional officers don't live a long life. Mm-hmm. Most cops don't live a long life because of the internal stress of a job, you know. Average life expectancy of a white male is about 79. Used to be 80, but with the, epi- the um, opiate uh, epi- obi- yeah, epidemic, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's come down qu- considerably. Yeah. So it's yeah. about 79 now. Yeah. You lose 20 years of your life, yeah. but you don't think of that as a young guy, you know running up and down alleyways chasing people, being shot at, yep. um, you know, being attacked, working at a nightclub and all of a sudden you're in a fight and you got your jaw broken or your yep. arm broken. Yep. You know, you're in the hospital in uniform, getting stitched up. You know, and, yeah. and you don't look at yourself as a hero or nope. anything. Uh, wow. You're just as part of the job. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um, well, so I, I can I
2: can tell you stories from the other end of things. You know, <laughs> when you guys were chasing me, and uh, and and you know, my pocket. I always say a pocket full of cocaine. I really never had a fucking pocket full of cocaine. <laughs> it was always in my system somewhere and we say a pocket full of cocaine you guys would never catch me with cocaine so but um you know it 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 does get uh crazy on on that end of things and and i know this is not a recovery show but this is what what we're good at recovery and um and kind of kind of relaxing and kind of you know kind of figuring out what to do here in life as as a first responder, as you guys as a first responder. Um, but you know, you guys put a lot of stress on me, sweet. What <laughs> what was it that you said the one time about? Um, uh, you were you were um, sp- they were responding to you, or wh- what was that 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 little saying you had?
0: Well, just that uh, you know, I, I the the first responder spent a lot of time responding to me. Well,
1: excuse me, I, I grew up in the city of Lowell. I joined the army right out of high school, and when I came back, you know, I, I had a little, I had my fair share of trouble with myself as a kid. But when I became a cop, my friends were like, "What?" You know, they'd see me in a cruiser, they couldn't believe it. You know,
2: <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Yeah, but one one thing, <laughs> cops are people too. What? Firefighters are people too. You guys have that um, that other side. You know right. that that right. we we as. As the public, we see you as just a cop. And I remember seeing, if I ever seen a cop in a bar, I'm like, oh, my God, they can do that? Like, they're they are <laughs> right, allowed right. to be here? Right. And, you know, it and, and always fascinated me when there was a, a cop in the bar. It scared me, too, but, you know, I don't think right. you were looking for me when you guys were trying to have a good time. You know, you leave that to the guys on duty, I guess. So. <laughs> well, I
1: can tell you, some of the funniest things I've ever seen has been has been in uniform. And and, and some of the, the characters you meet over the years, you meet, every city and town has a few characters. You know what I mean? We in Lowell had Depot Annie, elderly woman, probably had a little bit of dementia, would we'll walk around. They, the, the, the folklore story was she was waiting for her boyfriend to come back from the war, you know, from the train station. She hung around the depot. Who knows if that was true? But, you know, we used to go up to her and call her depot, and she'd chase us. Then we had another guy, Tommy Ellis. He was a boxer. We called him Ding Ding, and if he yelled Ding Ding, he'd start swinging at you. And, of course, he was an old man. He couldn't catch you. But as a young cop, one of my first <laughs> first arrests was Tommy Ellis, who was known as Ding Ding. And I remember (laughs) writing the report, and I was like, Jesus, if anyone finds out, I arrested Ding Ding. You know, I mean, it's like catching fish in a barrel, you know? (laughs) But, yeah, I think um, from what I've seen over the years, um, the the fortunate part of uh, law enforcement and corrections today is they they have EAPs. They have people you can go to to get the help you need. Um, In most departments, Um, the upper echelon, the chiefs, they're on board with this, you know, um, they, they want people to be healthy. They understand it themselves because most chiefs have done the job, some of them better than others, but they understand it, you know, um, society itself might, might understand it a little better. People, believe it or not, radio rooms, communication rooms, and police stations actually get calls from police officers going to doctor's appointments in their uniform with a gun. The, the, the doctor wouldn't see one of the cops cuz he had a gun on a fire oh god well you know and i understand what he's saying he's he, he's got patients that are afraid of guns i think the cops should have used a little more discretion left the gun at home yeah, or in absolutely. the car locked in the trunk Yeah, but you know it's it's a different society now people watch you more and they expect you to be completely perfect make no mistakes you know um i've been to some horrific car accidents where people have died and you know if it doesn't affect you then you're not human yeah, you exactly. know yeah exactly yeah and yep. and um <clears throat> That that stress, that internal stress that you get from that, you have to learn to deal with. Absolutely. You can't just swallow yeah, it. You know. Yeah.
2: I'm going to ask you a question here, and you have to think back to your 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 younger days. Um, um, I, I would love to be in in a cop car when you call something in or a call goes out to you. Um, did you ever get a call like? not this one here's this one again or oh, or you know like so like joking around you know so what I mean you know like so you know you know what I'm saying sure. like give us one of those sure. stories like where you heard you know like uh, you know th- actually there's there's um, I'll tell you a quick story about about uh, several New Jersey um, I went to a Catholic school um, called Our Lady of Victories and right around the corner from the church this woman lived and she dressed up in a white veil a white dress and she was older woman, and we called her um, the the I forgot what they called her Mary the, the the Virgin Mary or something. And she would go down because she would she would live right around the corner. She would walk down on Sundays and talk to the police officers that would direct traffic across the, the way. She really didn't harm anybody, but people got a little nervous. You seen some lady walking around in a white dress with a veil on and you know rosary beads. You get a little nervous. So I'm I'm guessing that you you heard calls like that over the radio and sure. people saying uh, you know this one again or you know.
1: <laughs> well, we we had this uh, call for loud music one time when I first come on, and I was with this um, police officer who became a deputy and then became a lawyer and retired as a lawyer, and he's still still in practice, and uh, he was a he was a little um, he had a chip on his shoulder, let's just say that, and he always knew that he had some big tough guys behind him, so he wasn't afraid to be mouthy, and we went to this house third third floor, we had to walk up the stairs, and um, the music's blaring. You can feel the bass on the doors, and we knock. <laughs> and of course, it's yeah, come in. You know, and there's a big fat guy sitting in a recliner. <laughs> he's got some empty beer cans, smoking palm Malls, and he's got on—excuse <clears throat> me—he's got on Queen or somebody. The whole place is just rocking and rolling. And Dennis went over and the cop, and he turned the stereo down. He said, "Listen, we don't want to come back. I was here last night." I'm here tonight. If I come back tonight, that fucking stereo is going out the window. So we left, and about a half hour later, we get a call back to Chestnut Street for the same thing. This time, it's louder. We can hear it from outside. So we walk up the stairs. Dennis doesn't knock this time. He opens the door. He goes over, and he picks up the, back in the day again, it was an amplifier with wires that went to two speakers and a turntable. Big, huge speakers, right? (laughs) Yeah, and a turntable (laughs) on top. And he picked up the, the receiver. The turntable and threw it through a window, oh right God. through the window. And I'm in friggin' awe. I'm like, whoa, he really can throw stuff. It did go out the window. And the fat guy sitting there said, what are you shitting me? Dennis goes. If we come back here, you are next. <laughs> and the guy just put his head down. And I thought, you know what? He's not shitting either. <laughs> That's
2: a guy you don't cross boundaries with, I guess. I, could,
1: I couldn't wait to get out of work and tell my fellow officers, "Hey, you wouldn't <laughs> believe what happened. He <laughs> threw the goddamn radio out the window."
2: <laughs> and sweets, so I'm sure you had radios thrown out your windows in your day too, right? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> what's your What's your favorite cop story
0: from the other the other side? <laughs> On the receiving end, I mean, man, I there's there's countless stories, actually. My uh, my addiction took me down a quite a dark road there. But, you know, uh, listening to the two of you talk, and I mean, I never, uh, on the receiving end, I never thought about, you know, how, how they were walking into me and what they thought was going on. I always thought they were overreacting. You know, yeah. I always thought they were, you know, taking things a little too seriously. But, you know, they didn't know. They didn't know me. And I mean, if you're, if you looked at my history or my criminal record, and you pulled my name up, and you pulled me over, I mean, it was warranted. I, I'll, give you, I'll give you one story. I was um, actually right down the street here, and I got pulled over, and I had my old 1984, uh, 1984 Ford LTD with my MTX Thunders in the trunk. Nice. And, uh, you know, it was just booming down the street at about 2 in the morning and uh, doing my regular uh, drug-related activities. <laughs> and I had a little pocket knife on me, nothing crazy. And, you know, I got pulled over, and apparently I had been in, um, I had been in uh, the Lawrence Farm. Uh, pr- prior to that uh, pullover uh, and the uh, apparently when they pulled up my name, it said I was still incarcerated. Oh, Jesus. and so they they thought I was escaped uh, first of all, and I was driving without a license. And uh, so they pulled me over and, and, you know, he didn't he just uh, he just came over, real casual like, Uh, with his gun drawn to my window. (laughs) Casual with a gun. Casual with his gun drawn. And, uh, you know, two or three cruisers pulled up, and I was like, I knew I was driving without a license. I knew I had drugs on me, but I was like, you know, what are you guys doing? I said, this is a traffic stop. And uh, it turns out that, you know, they were... um, they were responding appropriately. Yeah. You know, they were responding according to the report that they got and the insight that they had about the situation. And so as much as on the receiving end, I was like, you guys are nuts. <laughs> it, you know, I couldn't imagine the fear that they must have been going oh, through God. or, you know, what they saw. And so it was uh, it was quite an evening. And uh, things turned out in my favor, actually, and uh, I was able to walk away from that. But that was my, that was that was my receiving end story. See now,
1: Sweet Sweets is an honest man, and and he actually gives credit to the cops for. He, he understood. He didn't feel like they overreacted. He he understood the situation.
2: Well, but you know when 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 you guys are after you know us in our addiction days um we you know all i wanted to do was get high that's i didn't want to hurt anybody i didn't want to do anything else except get high and drunk and just just have fun that's all but you guys don't know that you know coming into the situation it's different you know it's it's um it's definitely um you know a different different end of things so when um when we're when we're doing our party and you come bust us, it's like, whoa, Jesus Christ, I, you know I'm nobody. I have you know you, you could take me down just by blowing on me to how I'm so fucked
1: up right now. so <laughs> and I got one more story. this is a good one. Um, I'm at a red light one night there's a car in front of me and I'm with another cop and um, the light turns green and the guy in front of me doesn't go anywhere and this was before a cell phone, so he wasn't on a cell phone. So I gave it a good couple of seconds anyway, and then I hit the horn, just beep, beep, and a hand came out the window. And it went like this, the, the thumb and the middle oh, finger. And I said, oh, yeah, you fucking <laughs> asshole. So I lit up the lights, and I hit the siren, boop, boop. And this guy pulls over, and I get out of the cruiser. And, of course, I'm on fire because he just gave me the middle finger. And I walk up, and he's like a real quiet-looking kid, poindexter, glasses, look kind of a, maybe special, even little special needs. And I said, geez, this doesn't seem like the type of kid they give the cops the finger. But he did, you know. <laughs> so I said, I need your license and registration and he said sure thing officer and he said why are you stopping me i had a green light i said i know and i beat, cheated the horn to let you know you had a green light and you gave me the finger and he said i did he goes oh you mean this and he shows me his hand and all he has on his hand is a middle finger oh, and a thumb no. he had no other fingers <laughs> he was waving to me <laughs> <laughs> oh my uh, god <laughs> hey this was a good show ed um absolutely, I'm absolutely. forward looking forward i'm looking forward to next week and, um, absolutely oh yeah every great good,
2: the all good shows uh, mike a couple couple things before we we end the show here um you know that, that was a, that was a good show we have to have some fun sometimes yep, um, a while. but you know like we said in the past shows we we uh, we want to bring up issues just not substance abuse right. i know there's a little bit of substance abuse in our using history but um you know you guys have to have fun out there we, we want you to be you know um good dads good moms good husbands wives and all that and that's what this show brings right um and of course with sweets here doing um all the um all the uh the production for us we we get it out to you guys really really well right and, and it's We've been having some good um, feedback from everything. But one thing we do want to ask you guys, and and I said it on all the past shows, is please send in um, your your department patches to us. Um, Email me or email us at help at friendsandrecoverypodcast.com. Let us know who you are and i'll send you an email where you can send it all to we do want to display it up we're getting it all together now um and we want to get it out there and make sure that everybody you know you guys are recognized we want to recognize you um we want to we also this show was a a little bit of fun little stories it's not all serious um you know your job is serious all the time but we want to make sure that you guys have fun and enjoy life too have fun you know you turn the show on today and it's all about fun it's not about you know, EAPs or, um, you know, uh, suicide or whatever we've been talking about in the past and what we're going to talk
1: about in the future, but it's all about fun. And, uh, you know, you you do bring some good fun to this, right? (laughs) Well, join us for future episodes by subscribing and help us spread the word (laughs) by sharing across social media. We want to have a special thank you to our sponsor, Genesis House, for making this possible, along with our podcast suites and the suites podcast studio for recording and broadcasting this podcast, which... He does an excellent Absolutely. job. Absolutely.
2: And if you have any questions, you know, always, you know, you can um, or if you want to be a guest um, or if you want to uh, submit a question or a topic for discussion, please uh, visit the Facebook page at Answering the Call the First Responders Podcast or send an email again to help at com. We'll get back to you. We'll answer all your questions. And hopefully maybe we get you on as a guest or even uh, get one of your topics on here.
1: Right. And um, as always, we are grateful for the privilege to share our stories and insight with you, the listener.
2: Absolutely. Stay safe, everybody.
0: That concludes this episode of Answering the Call, the First Responder Podcast. Thanks to Genesis House for sponsoring the show and supporting our first responders who are struggling with addiction and mental health. Follow us on Facebook for past shows and updates. If you are interested in becoming a guest on the show, email us at health at com.